0: You may be seated. And may it be so, Christ only, always, living in me and in you. All right, it's good to be back with you. Uh, Last week uh, I was away on my 50th high school reunion, and boy was it a blast. And uh, spiritually speaking, that's, it was the amazing part of it. It was so exciting to see how the Lord had called so many of my friends uh, home to him and, and knowing him and being now followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, to be able to see and hear the testimonies. It was almost like a worship service. I kid you not, it was just something you'd have to be there to see what God did in in that. And we had prayed for that, but it was so much more uh, than what we could ever imagine or think. So, all right, that has nothing to do with where we're going to now. So, I'm back. Um, For some time now, we've been in this consecutive expository series subtitled Seeing Jesus Together in the Gospel of Luke. Of course, we're expositing, looking at, taking apart, explaining the uh, uh, Gospel of Luke. And uh, remember, Luke is the one that wrote his book primarily to the Gentiles, Uh, and, uh, and you see this over and over and you'll see it again today in various ways. Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter four now, uh, beginning at verse 31 through verse 44. Again, I remind you, this is the word of God. Hear it with careful attention. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Power He commands the unclean spirits and they come out And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever And they appealed to him on her behalf And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them now when the sun was setting all of those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them and the demons also came out of many Crying, you are the son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. By the way, the number of the better texts tell us that that is Galilee. You'll see sometimes Judea, sometimes Galilee. Uh, But it would have been the Galilee region that he was in at this point in time. He would be doing that later on. But uh, this is the better text rendering there. Let's pray. Father, we now ask for help as we have read your word. But, Father, without your Holy Spirit, we will not understand, we will not comprehend, we will not appreciate, we will not value, we will not be changed unless you, by your Spirit, come and renew us and open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word. Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, of course, Jesus went home to his hometown. It didn't end up too well, did it? Following the peoples of Nazareth and their rejection of Jesus, Jesus decides, okay, as I said, prophet, not without honor in his own country. He knew that. He knew that's the way it was going to go. And so now he's decided to go and set up shop in Capernaum there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. When Luke says Jesus went down, uh, he is not kidding. (laughs) Literally, Nazareth is about 1,300 feet above sea level. Capernaum is 700 feet below sea level. That's a pretty, pretty big uh, variance. So when Luke says literally he went down. By the way, Luke is very ge- geographical. He, he a lot of times does things and, and racks things and brings them together in more of a geological and spatial sense than in terms of the way others might, might do that. Um, so, I've got a few slides to show you uh, where that would have happened. So if we can uh, throw that up. All right. Um, Let's see. Once again, let's see if we can get the right thing. Here we go. Um, Come on now. Wake up. Going to get there in a minute. There we go. Okay. Uh, Nazareth would have been somewhere over here on this side, those of you that are able to see, uh, way off to the left of the map. Uh, And Jesus came from there and probably something like that uh, here in the Sea of Galilee. And you see Capernaum there at the top in the northwest. Um, Next slide, please. This is the way he would have come through the uh, between these mountains, uh, uh, the past that is known, the Valley of the Wind and the Doves. And he would have come through this path down this same road that we walked with the Oberlies many, many years ago now. Uh, and then finally, the next so one more slide, and they're coming in finally to the Sea of Galilee. And, the, and around Capernaum would have been in this area, and you still see the ruins of that. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. Now, just a couple of other things, and then we'll, we'll pick up some more slides. Capernaum, as I said, was north Western on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it became Jesus's new ministry headquarters. Um, and it was where Peter and other some he picked up a number of his apostles uh, 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 of his disciples there. And Peter lived there, had a home, and matter of fact, his mother-in-law. We're going to hear about what happens with her in Peter's home. Uh, And we'll see a picture of that in just a moment. So let's try to throw up a a few more here. Um, This is, there's the Sea of Galilee, of course. And uh, where I was a while ago, we were looking, Jesus would have come through this area. And this is now the restoration of, of they're trying to basically, but all of it would have been lower, like in this area. But this is where you're able to go in, around, and look down into what, They think it was Peter's home. This is a very key aspect of the city because this was the white synagogue. uh, And you can see the the pillars if you're able to see that there. Um, And that was, but it wasn't white in the time of of, uh, Jesus. Uh, Next slide, please. You can see the basalt. That was, that's what would have been. And that's uh, Peter's uh, house over there. Next slide. And you can really see the relief here. Here's the white synagogue, but that was built after Jesus was here on earth. This would have been the basic, base uh, blocks and stones for the uh, pillar, I mean, for the synagogue in Jesus' time, uh, the basalt. And then I've got one more, I think. Yeah, that's showing you, and then you can see the pillars here very clearly where people would have sat on the side and Jesus would have taught. Uh, here and this is where he first taught and began um, and his his ministry in Capernaum. Uh, I think that's the last slide. No, got one more. Yeah, and there's uh, there's again the parts you can see, but you're looking down into this area. Would it looked like this kind of thing. The setting of the house. This is where Peter Jesus came and healed Peter Peter's mother-in-law. All right, there we go. Thank you. Good job, slide, folks. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, In today's passage, uh, Jesus repeatedly demonstrates his authority. Thus, the title, The Authority. This is all about Jesus' authority in three domains. And we're going to see those broken down. And so today's outline for the authority goes like this. Authority in teaching. Authority over demons. And authority in healing. Those are the three areas in which Jesus demonstrated his authority when he came in to the area of Galilee and set up in Capernaum. Now, Jesus began his ministry in the synagogues. He went to the logical place where people would be that would hear the word of God. He wanted to proclaim the gospel and the word of God, as we will see more clearly as we go along. But he went there because that's where people would be gathered on Sabbath. But his teaching was not anything like the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the official uh, holy men of his day, the ones that were supposed to be the scholars and knew their Bibles best and all that. And yet, Jesus did not teach the same way they did. His teaching was not like it. They taught a lot of speculation, the scribes and the Pharisees, and a lot of, frankly, regurgitation. They would just keep coming back saying, Well, so and so says whatever. And so, most of the rabbis based their teaching on a chain of tradition. You remember "fiddle in the roof," tradition. You know that that uh, you that kind of thing. It was it was tradition was getting more press than the scriptures were getting in that time, and that was just common. They would talk about and they would pair up the various teaching of rabbis. But it was a chain of tradition that they talked about most, and citing the opinions of their predecessors. It would go something like this. They would just drone on and on saying, "Well, uh, Rabbi so-and-so of the school of such-and--such." Uh, he says this, blah, blah blah." And the other one but, oh, but over here, rabbi." Whoever says this is the way we should understand this tradition. And so it would go on and on and on. But the scriptures were being negated. They weren't really having any role in the life of God's people. And yet the word of God in the Psalms, are—we tell it's life, it's honey. It's all the metaphors telling us we've got to have the word of God. Man, remember already, Jesus said, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, Jesus didn't appeal to the traditions of men. He taught directly from the scriptures. Now, you know, there was a time in our history when there wasn't a lot of teaching directly from the scriptures in the churches in the medieval days. That's why we ended up having a reformation and we needed that to get people back to the book, get back to the word of God, not to following the traditions of men. Oh, traditions have a place, but they must never be anywhere near a lot. Let me give you an example in the, in the PCA Presbyterian church in America that, that we happen to be a, a member congregation of, um, I remember when I was uh, being examined and somebody asked me what the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America was. Well, I told them, you know, well, it's the Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechism and such. And I told them in the book at your door. And the guy, this guy said, older gentleman that was examining me said, and? And I I was like, I thought I was really doing well, too. And I started getting nervous. He said, and? And Well, he happened to be from another Presbyterian school that, that added the Bible into their, uh, their, their uh, standards. They added, added the Bible into it. But in the PCA, we don't do that. Why? Not because we don't value the Bible. It's in another stratosphere. It's not even on the same playing field. All these other wonderful creeds and and things and that we have and confessions that, and books of church order help us understand and not reinvent. That's all great, but the Bible is way up here. You can't even put it in the same sentence. You can't put it on the same level. Well, see, that's what that's what Jesus was saying, and unfortunately, that was what was happening. Is they were tradition was taking over everything. Jesus appealed, uh, they, he didn't appeal to the tradition of man. He taught directly from the scriptures, speaking as the author of the texts in question. The way he spoke, he was basically saying, yeah, these are they that point to me. The, this scripture is today, remember, in Nazareth, fulfilled when? In your hearing right here on this spot. Just put sense chills. How that must have been to someone who'd never heard anything like that. As if scripture, holy scripture was being fulfilled in their very midst that moment. Because it was. It was. The word of God was with them incarnate. And he was speaking with authority. Jesus Teaching appealed directly to the text, not to particular schools of thought. Houses of Halal and of Shammai. Oh, I'm from the house of Halal. Mold of Shammai, we think. No, no, Jesus had no place for that. He broke the mold, folks. He broke the mold. Remember how many times Jesus said in number of the Gospels, he says, you've heard it said. Now, a lot of people think he's talking about the Bible. No, no, he's talking about all this tradition. You've heard what these guys and their schools of thought and their traditions, what they've, their glosses and all the stuff they've added to it. They have said this, but then he said what? You've heard it said, blah, 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 but I say unto you. In other words, I'm speaking from the scriptures. I'm exegeting God's word in your midst And speaking the truth. You see, their power, you you see here, there was power in his words, so much so that outwardly religious people were blowing their mind. They were amazed. Here's that, here's Luke's word again. Over and over we're hearing it amazed, astonished. They had never seen or heard a teacher anything like Jesus of Nazareth. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know how difficult it is to amaze outwardly religious people? In other words, people that spend a lot of time going to church and reading the Bible and whatever. Do you know it's hard to amaze? Why? Because we get used to it. And we've done it so many times. Jesus was blowing their minds. They had never seen anything like this. They had never heard and never seen anything like it at all. Secondly, authority also, not over, not just over teaching, a different kind of teaching than they'd ever known, but authority over demons. That's verses 33 through 37. Authority over demons. Now, a lot of people in our world, in our sophisticated time, think, you know, what a, what a crock. You know, all that stuff way back in the middle. You know, nobody believes in that stuff. Uh, well, the scripture says they do exist. And Jesus confronted one of them here in this text. Luke then carries the theme of authority further in his description of Jesus in this encounter with this demon-possessed man. A demon is a fallen angel, corrupted, twisted, evil, and malevolent. And they were especially... Front and center at this time in history, why? Because the Son of God had come, and Pilate—I mean uh, um, Herod—didn't get him. He didn't get baby Jesus. He didn't. He Satan failed to get Jesus to fall for the traps, and now he's loose, and they hear. Heavy footsteps coming. And we don't know why or how, but what happened is Luke implies that the demon was surprised to see Jesus. He apparently didn't get the memo. Plenty of them did, apparently. Satan had already got the memo. They knew who they were dealing with, and it scared the kajibis out of them. It wasn't Jesus worrying about the demons. The demons were scared to death of Jesus. The Son of God with power had come. But for all his blustering, this when when he when Jesus told him, hey, out now, he, he blustered and he bellowed and he remember it says and the and there was a man uh, and he cried out with a loud voice hi ah, what have you to do with us jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god you might think that he's just having fun and kind of laughing at jesus i don't think so at all i think he knows who jesus is and he knows how powerful he is and he knows that his goose is cooked If Jesus wants that to be. And all his blustering, the demon proved impotent before the authority of Jesus. The Lord simply commanded him and what? He obeyed. The demon obeyed. Just like that. He rebuked the demon and the demon obeyed. Now, once again, people were what? Not only astonished at his teaching, they're now astonished that this man can cast out demons. They were absolutely blown away again. Other teachers decry the rise of evil. Of evil, This man, Jesus Christ, put evil in its place. It was like a preview of coming attractions. Oh, you see this? This one instance right here is going to become an avalanche. And this kingdom of darkness is going to start to fall and crumble because I'm here now. Jesus literally, folks, you've heard me say this before, was picking a fight with the powers of darkness. Very Wallace, William Wallace-esque. He was picking a fight. He was not trying to stay away from a void and realize how. No, he was basically right in the open. Come on. They could, could not, could not in any way do but what he commanded. You see, listen to this. Wonderful um, text uh, from a commentator that I have a lot of respect for. Matter of fact, he'll be here in this building uh, in February uh, in, when we hold Presbytery, and he'll be uh, teaching. He's a, uh, our keynote speaker for, the, uh, um, for our Presbyteries overnight, and we're going to be doing it here uh, in February. His name is Ralph Davis, and he is um, a former student of my wife, Louise, and of me at RTS, and uh, Jackson. So, uh, but listen to what he said. Luke probably intends us to see verses thirty-three and through thirty-seven as a premier event, uh, we're something. This is a, a really setting the stage for for something big to come. It's the first miracle of Jesus that Luke records. Now we know there were others before that because Luke kind of reverses. Nazareth was was in his writing was before this. Afterwards, but as far as chronologically, this happened before the Nazareth scene. If 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 it is the first miracle of Jesus that Luke records, it probably meant it's meant to be viewed as a signal miracle. In other words, there's more where this came from. Luke is telling us that Jesus' power is assuring. For if Jesus vanquishes demonic power in this paradigm episode, then surely he is also the cosmic Lord who will banish Satan and all his lackeys at the last day. This miracle rightly seen provides the people of God with a most settling eschatology of assurance. I get tired of hearing wimpy, whiny, like, oh, the world's... kinds of eschatologies. My Bible is full of an eschatology of victory because Jesus has come to find the strong man. And before he leaves this world, when he he was here, he said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. That means he went down and busted his crown fanged his teeth, pulled them, pulled the stinger from death. Our great Savior had come to do this. Satan, though, though he knows ultimately he cannot win, and yet so great is his malice and hatred, he keeps trying. And you know one of the ways he tries in, in a very special way? Satan loves to oppose Christ's work right where this happened. Where did it happen? In a worship service. You mean demonic influence can be in a church? Yeah. Could then, still can. Matter of fact, it's one of the favorite places. You know why? Not because, woo, it doesn't jump out and do that. But if we can be persuaded, you know, those people over there, that group, I don't like them. They don't don't ever appreciate the things that we do. You know, we just need to settle up our own little group over here, and we'll do our thing. Divide and conquer is the strategy. And he plays it well. Most of the time, the, the people of God don't even know. Playing right into his hand. Thirdly, there is also not only authority in teaching and authority over demons, but authority in healing. (laughs) Now, think about this. Having cast out a demon from a man uh, in the synagogue, Jesus makes a beeline straight for Peter's house. At this point in time, he knows that he has Peter following along with Andrew and, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he makes a beeline for Peter's house where Peter's mother-in-law is burning up with a high fever. Now, we don't tend to take fevers too seriously in our day. You know, get some Tylenol, you know. Um, you know, just, you know, hey, you know, get, take a nice cold bath. Um, we don't tend to see that. In that time, it wasn't that way. It was kind of, they, they could be really mild things, you know, mild virus. They also could be things... That people didn't come back from. And apparently this was of a more serious nature. This had been going on for some time. They had asked and specifically get help. And remember, Dr. Luke was a doctor of of sorts. He was. He, He did medical things. Now, obviously he didn't have what we have today. But the point is, Luke did and the household was asking for help. And the woman was down And out. And Jesus came and stood over her. And interestingly, guess what? The word he used. Or uh, that Luke describes him using. Rebuked. The fever. Same word that he said about demons. He rebukes a fever. And the scripture says immediately. She got up. She didn't kind of, oh, oh I think I'm feeling a little better. Uh, can you give me some? She got up as if nothing happened and continued to serve her guests. That was something that just doesn't happen. You see, think about it fevers aren't sentient beings, <laughs> they're not emotional. But when the Son of God speaks to this coronavirus or whatever it was, this unhearing, unthinking thing obeys Jesus' command instantly. His rebuke accomplishes the same thing. It goes out just like the demon went out. This is an expulsive power demonstration times two. Happens in the, in the synagogue, happens here. Demonic exorcism, casting out a demon, and then showing his authority over life and its circumstances. Listen now, listen now to verse 40 and 41. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Because they knew he was the Christ. A lot of people say, you know, I know Jesus. (laughs) Well, they knew Jesus too. But they didn't follow him. They hated him. They feared him. But they knew who he was. (laughs) They knew he had the power was real. You see, the expulsion of the demon in the synagogue And of Peter's mother-in-law's fever was not a one-off. That was not like, okay, here's this story about getting rid of a demon, and here's this other story over here about uh, healing someone of a a dangerous sickness. And that's it. No, those are just paradigms of what would flow and follow. Jesus, right then, in that, and that didn't take, like, way off in the future. It happened right then in those verses that I just read to you. It said that when they started following Jesus and Jesus, it said those that he laid his hands on, what? Were healed. And it also says that that there were many demons that were Exercised or cast out. And so, when he laid those, he laid his hands on, and many demons were cast out. Now, the response Jesus received back, I mean, in Capernaum, was very different from what he got in Nazareth. The response of those two experiences, being in, in his hometown and then here now in Capernaum, very different. They wanted, in Nazareth, they wanted Jesus gone as soon as they could. Remember they tried to throw him off the cliff if they could have got a hold of him. But this group in Capernaum at this point in time, they're going, wow, we want you to stay. So they were following him and they wouldn't leave him alone. They were thinking, man, have we got a deal here. We got a doctor, we got an exorcist, we've got a you know, a a person with authority and power all rolled into one. This is just great. We just can't wait to be here, Lord. This is cool. Let's just hang out here. And, and, and Jesus, we want you to stay here permanently. Well, eventually down the road, they would not say that as Jesus' ministry went on toward the cross. But for then, they did. They wanted that. But Jesus refused. Why? Here's why. In verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He's saying, guys, girls, I can't. I can't stay with you. I've got a mission, and you're just a small part of that. I've, I've shown you who I am. Go tell others about me. But I have to go on because there are so many more that need me. I need to share what the Father has sent me to do. Jesus, you see, what what happens here is Jesus didn't come to be the Savior of Capernaum. That's what he's basically suggesting to them. They want him to be, okay, our personal Savior, Permanently, right here. Uh, Jesus didn't come to be the Savior of Capernaum. Uh, Ultimately, he came to be the Savior of the world. To the whole world that would believe in him. And people are always trying to get Jesus under control. So they can kind of have him on their terms. Have you not seen that? Have you not even been there maybe yourself before you became a believer? And even sometimes as believers, we want Jesus to do for us what we want him to do for us. Oh, Lord, I want you to help me, but, no, but don't help me that way. I want you to help me this way. Oh, oh, I, I, I want you to give me something that's not what I, that's not really I want. I want you to give me something over here, and this is what I want. That is so common of us. But what was the mission that Jesus was was saying? Jesus was always refusing to be confined by the agenda of others. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly where he was, when he was, and he was going to accomplish that. And he was not going to get thrown off mission. What was that mission? To preach the word of God that we call the good news. Of the kingdom of God. Now what's essentially that, all that wording mean? The good news of the kingdom of God. Obviously it's something desirable. It's good. It's something valuable. But the new, good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is simply the rule of God. The extension of which is his divine authority and power. The kingdom of God is simply God ruling. And wherever he is ruling, he's extending his authority and power. And that power was now being extended through his incarnate son. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here because I'm here. And I'm going to make one day all of this that looks like hell out here, I'm going to make it look like heaven. I'm going to make it look like me wherever I radiate my gospel. And yet, you're going to get to have a role in it too because you're going to become ambassadors and carriers and criers of that same gospel. But at this point in time, Jesus is telling them, this is what he's here to do. The kingdom of God in authority and power in the person of Jesus Now, by the way, people are always trying to get Jesus to be something other than what he actually is and or do something other than what he's been called to do. They either want him to be something that he's not, or they want him to do something that he's not going to do. Because he's all about his father's business. He's all about the kingdom and advancing that. Listen to Philip Reich and what he says on this point. People do the same thing with Jesus today. They want to turn him into some kind of wonder worker or entertainment act or insurance policy. They want something other than what Jesus has to offer. They want physical healing or happy feelings or financial prosperity. These are all blessings that God can give, but not necessarily will. But his greatest blessing is salvation through the gospel word. The good news of eternal life through the death and resurrection of God's only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Next week, what do you say we go fishing? I'm referring to next week's title, The Catch. See you then. Let's pray. Father, Thank you, Father, for the good news. Thank you that Jesus is that good news. And he's come to give himself everything that we need to belong and forever be with you in your kingdom. Father, help us not to get distracted. Help us not to try to manipulate you in what we want you to be. As if you're some kind of rabbit's foot or something like that. Father, help us to want what you want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven father be praised be glorified father son and holy spirit and we thank you for your blessed son in him we pray amen